barking. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this day for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path that leads us to your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that we would hear your word in faith and diligently learn it so that we might know you better and learn to love others as you have loved us. Now grant us your Holy Spirit to this end, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning we're going to start off with a little pop quiz for you today. We're going to do a little Bible trivia. Uh, I'm going to ask you four questions. Do not answer out loud until we've gone through all four questions, okay? So I want to see how you do here. Uh, so we're going to go through these questions, and you answer the questions, and then you'll be grading yourself. So if you cheat, you only have yourself to answer to, okay? So first question today. How many wise men came to see Jesus? How many wise men came to see Jesus? Second question, true or false? The wise men followed a star to Bethlehem. True or false? The wise men followed a star to Bethlehem. Three, true or false? Melchior, Gaspar, and Bilbo Baggins are the traditional names of the wise men. True or false? <laughs> number four, if you get that one wrong, you're in a lot of trouble. True or number four, true or false? The wise men arrived at the manger before the shepherds. True or false? Okay, see how you did. Uh, how many wise men came to see Jesus? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. The Bible does not tell us. Now, traditionally, we say three because they bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, but the reality is nobody knows how many of these wise men show up. And it could have been a great number of them. If you looked in the Gospel of Matthew there today, uh, it says that when they arrived, the people of Jerusalem uh, were filled with fear. So there may have been quite a large group of people who arrived there. But we have no idea. We have no idea how many showed up. Okay, good. True or false? The wise men followed the star to Bethlehem. Is that true or false? True, except they got it wrong first. Remember, they go to Jerusalem first, which was not where they were supposed to go. They were supposed to go to Bethlehem. And it wasn't until they heard the word that they knew the right direction to take. Uh, and so that one is true, uh, but it took them a while to get there. Next, true or false, the traditional names of the wise men are Melchior, Gaspar, and Bilbo Baggins. False, that's correct. Uh, Bilbo is not in the Bible, though he could be because it's a pretty good book. Uh, uh, he's a hobbit. But Melchor, Gaspar, and Balthazar, I believe, are the traditional names of the wise men, though the reality is we have no idea what their names were. We don't even know if they had names. My guess is that they did. Uh, but we don't know what their names were and how many there were or anything like that. Last one. Uh, the wise men arrived at the, man uh, the manger before the shepherds. True or false? False. In fact, it's likely that they didn't show up, and this is kind of surprising for us, that they likely didn't show up till up to two years after Jesus had been born. What that means is that your nativity scenes, your creches, and the cover of your bulletin today have all lied to you, okay? Uh, the wise men were not at the manger. Jesus could have been anywhere between one and two years old uh, when they showed up on the scene. So kind of interesting stuff there. Now, uh, this is all kind of fun trivia, but I do think there is a lesson here for us today. 
Very often, when it comes to discussing the wise men, and as we'll see in a moment, just the scriptures in general and our understanding of God in general, very often, the way we view things is shaped more by uh, the culture around us than it is by the word of God itself. As we come to the scriptures today and we actually learn about these wise men, what we actually find is that historically the story is a little more vague. Again, we don't know how many of them there were, we don't know their names, and we don't know when they arrived. Further, what's interesting about these guys is that we call them wise men, uh, and I'm not so sure that's a great translation of that word. Because by all accounts in the scripture, they weren't all that wise. They went to the wrong place. They went the wrong direction. Uh, the, the word there in Greek is magi. You've heard that before. Magi, for what it's worth, does not mean kings. Sometimes we call them we three kings. They were certainly not kings. Uh, they were magi, which is where we get our word magic or magician. These were magic men from the east. They were probably star worshipers. In our day and age, we might consider them foreign occultists uh, with the sort of things they were probably practicing. Uh, and these are the guys who come looking uh, for this king because they saw this star rise west of them. Now, as we go further into the story, talk about a lack of wisdom. Not only did the Magi not know where Jesus was to be born, but Herod, the actual king who should have known everything, and even some of his scholars, they didn't know where Jesus was to be born until they finally opened up the Bible and looked it up. And it's only when they come to the word of God do they get to the truth of the matter? It's only when they open the scriptures can they finally find this Jesus. Now, I think there's something very important for us in this. There's something illustrative for us in this particular passage today. Far too often, I wonder if our views, not just of this sort of Bible trivia magi kind of stuff, uh, but if our views of God and scripture and the world and even ourselves are not really um, um, shaped by the scriptures, but by other things. And so that's the question we have to ask today. How well do you know your Bible? How well do you know the scriptures? On a deeper level, is what you believe about God shaped more by the Bible and the word of God or by cultural renderings, descriptions, and caricatures of God? The question we want to get at today is what is it that actually informs your faith, God's word or something else? As we ask this question, let's think about this account of the Magi, because again, I think it's kind of instructive for us. They didn't know where to find Jesus. They didn't know how to worship Jesus until the word was opened up to them, until they listened and heard the word. Then they could follow the star rightly. Then they could arrive in the presence of Jesus. Then they could worship him properly. But without the word... They had no proper knowledge of this Christ. There was no true worship with the, of this Christ without the word. They were just chasing hunches and assumptions. And sometimes I worry that even for us Christians, maybe especially for us as Christians, who have been in the church for a very long time, sometimes I worry that our faith, much like the Magi here, is shaped uh, by cultural uh, hunches and assumptions. The way we understand God is shaped more by things in our own minds and in our own hearts than it is by the word itself. Sometimes I fear we assume we think we know how God should operate, what it means for him to be good, what it means for him to be all-powerful, and how he ought to use that power. But the reality is that all too often our conceptions of God, really, if we're honest with ourselves, 
end up looking a lot more like a perfected, idealized version of ourselves than what the Bible actually gives us. We tend to make God in our own image. As one wag put it, and I really love this line, in the beginning God created man and man has been returning the favor ever since. I like that. It's very good if you think about it. We're constantly tempted to define God on our terms rather than getting to know him on his terms by what he actually has to say in the scriptures. And what ends up happening when we do this, it's not just that we, we sort of uh, get trivia questions wrong, but when we do this, what begins to happen is we begin to think if God is, is what I conceive of him as being, we assume that he's going to look like me, he's going to love like me, he's going to love the things I love, he's going to like the things I like, and he's going to hate the things that I hate. He's going to oppose the things that I oppose. So if somebody comes along and has a different view of, of politics or morals or ethics or philosophies or even religion, if their views of those things differ from mine, then I assume not only are they differing from mine, they're differing from God's. And now I need to correct that person. I need to put that person in their place. I need to defeat that person. And I'm going to do it with God on my side. I'm going to do it for God's sake. And this is no small thing. I mean, if you look historically, wars get started this way. Now, if God comes along in his word and corrects these attitudes, if God comes along in his word and shows me where I'm wrong and corrects me in my sin in all of this, very often what we'll tend to do with those verses is just sort of throw those at our enemies. Use those verses to attack others and not subject ourselves to them. See, this is the real danger sometimes for us when it comes to the word of God. We're ready to use it for our own purposes rather than subject ourselves to what it has to say. We want to use it to further our own causes and to promote our own ideas as opposed to subject ourselves uh, to what it says to us. And this is a very dangerous thing. If we have to subject ourselves to the word, it simply might mean repentance. It might mean we have to change our mind. And we don't want to change our mind. We want to be right. We want to win. We want to have power. So I'll use the Bible to help me get that power, and then I'll use Bible verses to blame God when things go wrong. This is what happens when we view the Bible as an instrument given to us to be used to achieve our glory. This is really what we're after in this life. Because we can only conceive of a God who deals in glory and power and might. And really, this is probably why the Magi went to Jerusalem. They were coming and looking for the Jewish king. And so where are you going to find a Jewish king? In a city of Jewish kings. Jerusalem, the city of kings. It kind of makes sense that they would go there because they could only conceive of a God who would be sending his Savior in the midst of power and glory and might. So it must have been quite a wake-up call to them when they opened the scriptures only to find that God would not be found in the glorious places of the world, as beautiful as he had made that place to be but in the shepherding town of Bethlehem, where he was not surrounded by kings and servants, but was found lowly among the weak and the foolish things, according to the word. See, when we come to the word, when we find Jesus in the word, when the word gives Jesus to us, it shows us a God who is not interested in uh, giving us our own personal glory and power over others. It is not interested in furthering our causes or, or buttressing our projects. 
No, that's not the purpose of the word at all. The purpose of the word of God is to deliver to you Jesus the Christ, who is your Lord and your Redeemer. And it surprises us by declaring to us that ours is a God who is known not primarily as sort of just the ideal version of ourselves, who's not known as a, a political power or a dictator, but is known primarily as the friend of sinners, the redeemer of the unrighteous, the forgiver of trespasses, the humble child who draws the praises of pagan occultists from other countries. We get to know this God best in the pages of Scripture, not by sort of contemplating his majesty up in heaven somewhere, but by seeing him in a manger of hay, not crowned on thrones with glory, but hanging on a cross with thorns, not bearing just the victories and the glories of this world, but the sins of his people. This God is known best in the flesh of Jesus Christ, who has come to save you and show you mercy. Now the trouble with this is, uh, this God does not show mercy the way we want him to. He doesn't show mercy on our terms. As he says in Isaiah, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he doesn't let us tell him what to do with that mercy. He doesn't put us in charge. In fact, he takes the power away from us and puts himself in charge over us. And this is why the scriptures sometimes can be such a threat to us. Because they remove our control. They remove our self-deceived views of our own personal glory. So where we want to come along and boast of our power and our accomplishments and our achievements, the scriptures will attack our pride. Where we see enemies in the world, people that get in our way, people that we want to remove or defeat, the scriptures there, they give us a neighbor who needs to be loved and prayed for where we look for God to further our causes and purposes, God instead shows up in Bethlehem, in a manger, on a cross, walking out of a tomb. And even there with the resurrection, where we want to use that news of the resurrection uh, to sort of give us an easy and more comfortable life, Jesus comes along and calls us to take up our cross and follow him. See, what the scriptures do is they confront us in our sin and they expose us as the sinners we are, and they take all the personal glory out of our hands and leave us with nothing but our guilt and our shame and our need for a Savior. And then they deliver that Savior to us. Then the Scriptures give us that Savior, that Savior Jesus Christ, who has these marvelous words for you and for me today. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call right, the righteous, but sinners. And so the scriptures diagnose you and I as those six sinners whom Jesus Christ has come to save. And the scriptures deliver to us this Savior. Now, you're not going to come to this on your own. You can't just kind of find the philosophies and the teachings and the education of this world to figure these things out. No, God must reveal this to you. This is why we would say true wisdom comes from the Word of God. True wisdom comes from the Bible. And this is why we think around here it is so crucial for you to be in the Scriptures, to be studying the Word of God, whether you're learning that Word with us here in Bible study, whether you're joining a community group, or whether you're just reading the Bible on your own. It is necessary for you to know God and to know yourself and to know this world properly, to hear the Word and to learn the Word. 
if you are going into this new year and you're sort of wanting to get into the Bible, I want to encourage you, but you don't really know how to do it, I want to encourage you to contact me. And I can give you a, a, a year-long Bible reading plan, or I can give you some kind of guidance and direction on how you might want to dive into these scriptures so you can get to know them better. See, I think what we tend to do is something like this. Like we make Bible reading a New Year's resolution, you know? And so you'll, you'll, uh, you'll open your Bible and you say, all right, so I'm going to start with Genesis and I'm going to read all the way through Revelation. And you read Genesis and it's great because it's all these incredible accounts of what God has done. They're amazing stories. They even make musicals like Joseph and the Technicolor Coat out of it. I mean, it's great. It's wonderful. So you go through Genesis and it's great. And then you get to Exodus and it's pretty good. It's a lot of wonderful stuff in Exodus, a lot of laws, but you get through that and it's fine. And then you get to Leviticus where it's teaching you how to sacrifice the entrails of a goat. And you're like, I'm out of this thing. Like, I want nothing to do with it anymore. So sometimes we need a little help and guidance, and if that's you, that's okay. Uh, reach out to me, and I, I will be happy to help you read the Bible. But get into a community group also. Join us for our Bible studies on Sundays or, or Wednesdays or wherever you can. In San Marcos, uh, we have them on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights as well. Uh, any opportunity you have to get into this Word, it will, it will give you Jesus. See, the Scriptures become for us the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. The Scriptures are the star that lead us to Bethlehem. They are the gift by which God delivers Jesus Christ to us. And we become like the Magi, who when they finally had the Word, they had Jesus. And they worshiped this mysterious God who came to them not in the glory of Jerusalem, but in the humility of Bethlehem. And so the Lord Jesus comes to you even again today, not in power and might and in terror, but in the humble pages of a book, in the ramblings of a preacher, to give you Jesus Christ, and with him your forgiveness, life, and salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have given us your word. You have given us Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord. We pray, Lord, now that we would learn the word together, that we would dive deeper into the scriptures so we would come to know you and to see how you view us and the world. Most importantly, Lord, we pray we would study this word so we would know Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.